Monday the 25th of September is the 108th anniversary of the start of the Battle of Luz. For one NCO who'd been at the front since August 1914, it would be his last battle. Lance Corporal Charles Judge was the most senior man in his section, the most experienced soldier, and had recently turned 17 years old. My name is John Pope. I'm a volunteer speaker with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, and I've got an interest in ordinary men and women who served in extraordinary times. Some were volunteers, some were conscripts, some had the time of their lives, while others were scarred mentally and physically, or simply failed to return home to their loved ones. They weren't all heroes, and they weren't all decorated, but for most, war at home and abroad was an experience which shaped them and changed them. Drawing on books, official records, internet resources and personal recollections from friends and families, I've pieced together just some of the stories of those who served. Join me in this episode to learn more about Lance Corporal Charles Judge of the 2nd Battalion, the Royal Sussex Regiment. Charles Edward Judge was born in Boxmoor in Hertfordshire in April 1898. His father Edward was a publican and his mother Kathleen was a musician. Kathleen Winnie was from a large farming family in Essex, one of a twin, and both she and her sister Arabella had, in the parlance of the time, married well. Her father-in-law and her husband were considered gentlemen in the true Victorian sense of the word and owned and ran a number of pubs in the home counties. Kathleen hoped that her daughters, Viola and Margaret, and her son Charles would grow up in the countryside, perhaps as farmers too. But over the next 15 years, the family faced a reversal in fortunes. Due to a contested will, Edward Senior was forced to find alternative work as a coal merchant, whilst Kathleen and the children moved to a rented house in Birchington in Kent. They moved again to St Mary Bourne near Andover, and by 1912 the family were to be found as tenants at Ducks Farm in the village of Tillington near Petworth in West Sussex. To help support the family and to find some stability, young Charles left school in 1910 and found work at the Petworth House estate. He also enlisted as a reservist in the Royal Sussex Regiment in the county town of Chichester. He had lied about his age, claiming to be 18 when he was only 16. He wrote to his older sister Viola, Please do not tell mother. She will worry so. I will speak to her when the time is right. According to the Battalion War Diary of the 2nd Royal Sussex Regiment, reservists such as Charles were called up on the 6th of August 1914, just two days after war was declared. After six days training and equipping, they travelled from Woking via Southampton on the SS Olympia and Agapenor, bound for Le Havre. As part of the 1st Division, 2nd Brigade, under Major General Sir Arthur Holland, the 2nd Royal Sussex served alongside the 1st Loyal North Lancashires, the 2nd King's Royal Rifle Corps, and the 1st Northamptonshire Regiment. They were immediately deployed at the Battle of Mons, and formed part of the rearguard as the division retreated south, towards Lakato and beyond. The diary records somewhat chaotic scenes, as confused French soldiers fired upon the British transport wagons, and the soldiers, thinking they were under attack, fired back. 
a British officer and a civilian were wounded, and a gendarme was accidentally killed when he was thrown from his horse. Throughout late August and early September, the battalion fought more rearguard actions until it stopped near Vendresse and took part in the First Battle of the Aisne from the 12th to the 15th of September. This battle followed hard on the tail of the Battle of the Marne, which had halted the Imperial German army and began the race to the sea. The result was the 450-mile static front from the Belgian coast to the Swiss border, with the British Expeditionary Force holding a stretch of line from just north of Ypres in Belgium, which then ran south into French Flanders towards Vimy. By the 25th of October, Charles Judge and the 2nd Royal Sussex found themselves near Bozinger, in the thick of the First Battle of Ypres, which lasted from the 19th of October to the 22nd of November. The War Diary records a relentless list of casualties amongst officers and men. 30th of October, Colonel Crispin's horse takes fright and he is killed by shrapnel. Major Green and Lieutenant Lusada are wounded, and 2nd Lieutenants Croft, Marilia and Shaw and 394 other ranks are killed, wounded or listed as missing. During a night attack, Major Green is wounded again and four subalterns are killed. 7th of November. In the evening, D Company went into reserve and 2nd Brigade moved back. Casualties. Lieutenant Moore killed. 2nd Lieutenant Goring wounded and 20 other ranks killed, wounded and missing. To put this into some perspective, most of the officers just named as killed, wounded or missing had only joined the battalion on the 8th of October, along with a draft of 124 men. But within one month, the operational strength of the 2nd Royal Sussex had been reduced by almost half. On the 2nd of November, the battalion, still under strength, helped to repulse a hasty German attack, killing and wounding over a hundred enemy, who were singing Deutschland über alles, and shouting Vaterland. Intelligence later suggested that the attack had been inspired by a visit from the Kaiser to the German trenches. In a letter home to Viola, Charles wrote, I have some shell splinters in my hand, but I am going on quite well. Tell mother I am fine. She doesn't need to know. For Charles Judge, 1915 began much as 1914 had ended. Although he had periods of rest out of the line, and was moved further south into France. The 2nd Sussex served at Guinchy, near Bethune, repulsing an attack on the 29th of January, for which the battalion received a letter of thanks from Brigadier General Westmacott. On the 9th of May, Charles's regiment, flanked by the Royal Munster Fusiliers and the 1st Northamptonshires, began their part in the Battle of Aubert's Ridge, with a dawn attack across flat ground, crisscrossed by several muddy ditches they were up against a recently reinforced German front line, seemingly untroubled by the short and ineffective bombardment which had preceded the attack. The 2nd Royal Sussex recorded 14 officers and 548 other ranks killed, wounded or missing in the space of a few hours. An officer of the 2nd Battalion later wrote, The good old Sussex went forward like one man, only to be met by a fire which simply mowed us down like rabbits. The barbed wire in front of the German trenches was not cut by our shrapnel as planned, and we were caught like rats in a trap. Viola did not hear from Charles for several weeks, until a letter which said, I have been in hospital a while, but on the mend. 
I have been given a one-stripe, acting unpaid. Charles had turned 17 one month before. He was the most senior man in his section, the most experienced soldier, and the youngest by at least three years. June 1915 saw Charles and his colleagues in the Bethune area again to welcome new drafts of men, fresh recruits who'd been sent out from England to bolster the depleted battalion. The diary records training, bombing, swimming, sports and concerts. The battalion spent much of July and August re-equipping, training new drafts and following a period of leave in England were joined by their newly promoted Lieutenant Colonel Green DSO, their new CO. As a result, Charles Judge and his colleagues became known as Green Force, which had been created especially for an attack planned for September. The background from the Battle of Luz was as follows. Under pressure from General Joffre, BEF Commanding Officer General Sir John French was urged to support a wider French offensive by attacking eastwards on a line from La Bassée to Luce and beyond. The area, wide, flat and only relieved by spoil heaps from local mining activity, was not French's preferred choice. He knew that the BEF lacked sufficient artillery and ammunition and asked to postpone the attack until 1916. This was refused and French, despite criticism from Sir Douglas Haig, had little option but to continue with the Big Push, planned for late September 1915. The Battle of Luce, as it became known, would be the first occasion that British and Commonwealth forces had used poison gas. Chlorine gas had been first used by the Germans in 1914, causing panic and severe casualties amongst Canadian and French colonial Zouave troops near Ypres. Since then, the deployment of and types of gas used had evolved from pipes and pressurised canisters to artillery shells containing mustard gas and later phosgene, all of which caused respiratory damage, blindness, skin blisters and burns. The British planned to use gas and smoke canisters to blind their enemy and cause confusion as part of their initial bombardment and opening assault. The 2nd Royal Sussex occupied a reserved line between the 2nd King's Royal Rifle Corps and the 1st Loyal North Lancashires. A map of this can be seen on the Those Who Served website under episode extras. The War Diary stated, At 6.30am the assaulting battalions advanced and the Royal Sussex immediately pushed on to our frontline trench. Owing to the dense smoke, it was not possible to see how the advance was progressing but the wind had veered around, blowing some of the gas back and causing great confusion among our troops in the front line. Acting on their own initiative, officers in the front line advanced immediately behind the first wave and soon reached the enemy wire, which was discovered to be intact. Many officers and men soon became casualties. On either side, the Scottish 15th Division and the 1st Brigade had entered enemy trenches, but the Royal Sussex and their sister battalions in the 2nd Brigade were held up by a determined and numerous German defence. The Royal Sussex Machine Gun Company made it as far as the Lone Tree before they were, as the diary describes it, annihilated. The Lone Tree was a key feature of the flat, loose battlefield, and whilst the original was destroyed, a replacement tree was planted later, next to a plaque in French, English and German to commemorate the site. A photograph of the tree and the plaque can be seen on the Those Who Served episode extras page. 
and Major Villiers wrote later in the war diary, at 11.45, Green Force made its way forward, but could get no further than Lone Tree. By 3pm, another attack was more successful, and we collected about 70 survivors, with Major Willits and Lieutenants Baker and Wellington, and at 3.15pm, the Germans surrendered. We occupied their lines and pushed forward to the lens la Basse Road, until we were relieved at 3 o'clock in the morning on the 26th of September. Dud Corner Cemetery stands by the site of a German strongpoint, known as the Lens Road Redoubt. It was named after a large dump of unexploded shells, found in the area after the armistice in 1918. The cemetery and the Luce Memorial are on the main D943 road between the Lens Luce and Vermel Betune areas. Whilst the cemetery holds 1,800 graves, only 38% of which are identified, the memorial features almost 20,000 names of those who fell with no known grave, many of whom were posted killed, wounded or missing during the Battle of Luz or later battles right up to the end of the war. Lance Corporal Charles Judge is buried in Dud Corner. He and two other soldiers, one Private Fitzel from his section and Lance Corporal Glanfield were exhumed together from a small battlefield burial plot just south of Lone Tree in 1921. The Battle of Luz claimed many thousands of young lives on both sides, including Captain Fergus Bowes Lyon, brother of the late Queen Mother, and 2nd Lieutenant John Kipling, son of Rudyard Kipling, who later proposed the phrase, a soldier of the Great War, known unto God. It also claimed the life of a 17-year-old reservist, Charles Judge, whose final letter to his sister Viola in mid-September simply said, I think we are part of a big push. I cannot say much, but tell mother I am fine. I'd like to thank the Commonwealth War Graves Commission for access to their archives, and to Paul Reed, the battlefield historian, blogger and podcast presenter, for some of the photographs on the episode extras page on the Those Who Served website. I'd also like to thank the Judge, Winnie and Vivas families for access to information and for extracts of some of Charles Judge's letters to his sister Viola. Until next time, thank you for listening to Those Who Served with me, John Pope. Please follow the show on social media, at Those Who Served, or on Instagram, those.whoserved. You can show your support for this free podcast by clicking on buymeacoffee.com on the website. All funds are used to cover the costs of research, production and syndication. You can join in with the show by sharing what details you know of a family member or friend who served in a 20th century conflict. Simply follow the links on the website or contact me directly by email at info at Thank you.